Well, hello everyone. My name is Kevin Rognes, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Faith Covenant Church. I'm really excited to be podcasting with you today. Um, whether you're watching this or listening to this, whatever time of day it is, I am very, very glad that you are joining us in this conversation. So right now we're undertaking a series on discipleship and talking about the very basic elements of discipleship. Last week we posted an episode which was a conversation between myself and lead pastor Brad Kindle where we went through a very brief overview of what discipleship is. If you missed that, go ahead and take a look at that. One of the main things that we talked about is that discipleship is walking with God with others and with God's word. So with God, with others, with God's word. Those are kind of the three maybe most essential components of discipleship. And so we're going to spend the next three episodes, including this one, kind of breaking down each of those elements. So today we're going to focus on what it means to be with God. So I'm really excited about what we can talk today, and I hope that you share this with other people as well. And um, I just I just really hope this is something powerful for you. Um, I also want to say that we just did a series briefly before this one um, in our podcast. That was kind of our soft launch for the podcast. The series was called Closer to God, and we heard from a variety of people either in our, congreg- our congregation or people that are closely associated to our congregation, and we got to hear about what they do to grow closer with God. So those six short episodes, each one is like seven or eight minutes or even less, um, each of those episodes talks a little bit about what different people, myself included, do in their walk with God to grow closer to God. So if you haven't checked those out, please do so. There's a lot of really great stuff in those. But today, again, we're focusing on what does it mean to do discipleship? What does this with God part of discipleship even mean? So to do that, I want to look through the arc of what that means throughout Scripture. Just kind of a very, very brief general overview of relationship with God as told in Scripture. Now, obviously, there's a lot of Scripture that could pertain to that. I'm not going to go into all of it because I'm recording this at night and my bedtime is coming soon, and I don't want to take up all of your time today. Um, So we're going to start at the beginning, Genesis, get to Revelation, um, but not go everywhere in between. But... Of course, we do want to start at the beginning. That's always a great place to go. So let's look at Genesis 1, where God is beginning with all of creation. So I'm going to skip to verse 1, chapter 26, because this is where God starts to create man. Up to this point, God has been creating the heavens, the earth, plant life, animal life, and so on. But starting here at verse 26, I'm going to read a chunk here. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that are crawling on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And right there, what I'm already noticing is that it's very... Um, it frequently emphasizes that we are made in God's image. We are made to be like God. We are made to be similar 
to God. And we don't understand the fullness of what that means, but we are created to be like God. We are created to be in relationship with God and with one another. I'm going to continue here with verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for, for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. So right here, God is creating us to be similar to him. God is creating people that are similar to God in some very crucial ways. One of those crucial ways is that creation of somebody who can be in relationship with another. Furthermore, God also is giving us purpose, and God is giving us work to do. Right here in the beginning, God is saying, be fruitful, multiply the earth, subdue it. In other words, be a part of this creation that I have designed and rule over it. Give it order. Give it meaning. God is inviting us to join in what he has begun in taking care of this creation that God has started. So again, from the bat, from right, right off the bat, God is creating us like him and giving us a purpose that is similar to his own purposes. That's kind of incredible if you think about that. So that starts off. It's all well and good. Adam and Eve are hanging out in the Garden of Eden. Everything's great. God just walks with them in the garden. It's described as being just complete and utter peace. Sounds amazing. Um, if you want a song about that, look up Phil Wickham. He's a wonderful song, uh, songwriter, singer-songwriter. Um, he has a song called Eden that is about this kind of early state of being. But it's interrupted. Things fall apart, as many of us know. In Genesis 3 we see the story of temptation come into humanity and start to make things go bad. So, we're going to start at verse 3, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's some really interesting things going on here already the serpent is introducing temptation, and he's doing that through doubt and lies. The serpent is instilling doubt that God has actually told the truth about everything, and the serpent is lying and say that then you will be like God. What the serpent is ignoring 
is that they have already been made like God. Certainly, Adam and Eve may not know everything, but they are already as like God as God needs them to be. They've already been created in God's image. And so, the serpent here is already lying, and once Adam and Eve give in and take the fruit of this tree, that's the first sin, and that introduces sin into all of humanity. At that point, things go south. And let's look at how that happens here. Or excuse me, after that happens, um, Adam and Eve have sinned, and they realize they've done wrong, so they hide. And we pick that up in verses 8 and 9, where it reads, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So right here, Adam and Eve are hiding from God, which is kind of funny considering that God is omniscient and all-powerful. So why do they think they can hide? Leaves a lot to be questioned there. But why are they doing this? Because they know they've done something wrong. And already in this wrongdoing, they have created a separation between them and God. Adam and Eve created this separation from God. And it's the first instance that we see of not being with God. So we get to verse 9. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now that's a very interesting question because God knows the answer. God is not asking this question for informational purposes about where they are. God's purpose in this question is relational. Essentially, God is saying, why are you not with me when I'm taking this walk through the garden? Why are you not with me? That's amazing that God asks that first because God already knows what they have done. So God could say, why have you done this thing that is wrong? But instead, God is saying, why are you no longer with me? It's a very interesting question. So, long story short, the serpent is punished, Adam and Eve are punished, and then really all of humanity is punished as well because now there is a separation from man and God, or humanity and God. The Garden of Eden is no longer in place. We no longer have that perfect, intimate relationship that's continuous and just there all the time. It's been separated. So the history of the Bible continues. We're not going to go through all of it today. Maybe then, maybe another day we'll do one episode that's just everything at once. Um, but we basically get to the point of Moses, and Moses is credited as the writer of the first five books of the Bible, which is also known as the Torah, sometimes also called the Pentateuch. It has a lot of names. But in these first five books of the Bible, we get what is called the law. This is where God describes what it means to be in relationship with him and how to behave in correct ways. Now, some of it seems archaic or difficult to understand today, and there's a lot of things that we won't fully understand with our modern context. However, what I'm trying to express here is simply that God gave the law as a relational piece of work. It was a, uh, a book, 
a writing of relationship building. It's not just God being on some sort of power trip. It's God saying, I want you to know me and to be close to me and be in right relationship with me. God wants us with God. And so God gave the law, those first five books. And then later, as time went on, that was expanded upon. And we get wisdom literature like the Psalms. We get history like the uh, Chronicles or First and Second Kings. Um, we also get prophetic literature like Jeremiah and Isaiah. All of these things are basically helping us to understand our relationship with God. A lot of it details in uh, specificity the relationship that Israel as a nation and Judah as its kind of sister nation, the relationship they have with God and the problems that they have in their relationship with God. So there's a whole lot that happens with us and eventually there are prophecies about a coming Messiah that'll come and fix everything and make things right. And that's where I wanna pick up from here. Basically, we get to a point where God wants to take his relationship with us to the next level. God wants to take it further and say, I've given you the law, I've given you these writings, but now I wanna give you more so that we can be in even closer relationship. And that's how we get to Jesus. God comes to earth as a human in that person of Jesus so that we can know him better, follow him, see him, and so on. God gives us a concrete example of what it's like to be with him because we can see someone that is just like him. So let's pick up that in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, or excuse me, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. So right here in the very beginning of all of creation, before God says anything or does anything, there is this word. Now there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about about what the specific meanings of the Greek meaning of the word word is. Um, suffice it to say, at the very beginning, God gives us a means of communication. Word is a means of communication. So that's there at the very beginning of creation. And then later, it, the word comes to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And we read this in verses 10 through 14 of John 1. He, being Jesus, was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, 
the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there's a lot going on here that we could spend, again, a lot of time unpacking. We're not going to go into every detail right now. But right away, we're seeing that God is coming to us and inviting us to become God's children. God is essentially wanting to reconcile with us and reestablish a very deep, strong, intimate relationship with us because we do have that sin that is causing a separation that makes us harder for us to be with God. Then in moving on into 16 through 18 of John chapter 1, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So here what it's saying is that we can't see God. <laughs> As human finite beings, we cannot see God. And so God wanted to be seen and came to us in a form that we could see, the form of Jesus. Why? <laughs> because God wants to be with us. So he came as Jesus so that we could have clear, tangible, understandable examples of what God is really like. So then we have the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus. And there's so much that we could go into, so many miracles, so many ways that we get to know God better. So I encourage you to read the Gospels on your own time if you haven't already. Um, but as Christians, we believe that the best way to know God or to walk with God or to be with God, it's to look at and look like Jesus. When we talk about looking like Jesus or following Jesus, that's kind of code word for discipleship. They're kind of synonyms, different ways of saying the same thing. So when we talk about following Jesus, that's discipleship. When we strive to look like Jesus and shine Jesus' light in the world, that's discipleship. So this can get really challenging, right? Because we are not perfect, we are flawed human beings. How do we really even do this? How do we actually get to know Jesus? Because we are living 2,000 years ago when Jesus was flesh and blood. All we have is a limited set of stories about Jesus. Now, there is actually somebody who asked Jesus some of these very questions, which I'm very thankful for. Um, a guy named Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John approached Jesus he was kind of a uh, religious leader in his day, and he approached Jesus and had some questions for Jesus. So let's read the story again, uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? So 
I want to pause here and say, Nicodemus, that's a very valid question. Thank you for answering that. Sometimes for us today as Christians, or even as non-Christians, the phrase born again is somewhat familiar to us. A lot of us grew up with that phrase, and so it's not necessarily unfamiliar. And even people who aren't Christians had probably heard that term a lot about born-again Christians in the media, especially as it pertains to politics. Different politicians say that they are born again. Um, so it's a common phrase that we have today, but it stems from this conversation. Prior to this conversation, the idea of being born again makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> So Nicodemus is, Nicodemus is truly incredulous when he hears Jesus say, how can you be born again? So then picking up in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that uh, that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And then a little later in this dialogue, he gets to chapter, or verse 14, um, 14 through 17, and you'll hear in this segment a very, very, very famous portion of Scripture. So, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loves the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So a couple of key passages that I'm seeing very early on, or not key passages, key ideas that I'm seeing here. Right from the beginning, when uh, Nicodemus is first questioning Jesus, he says, clearly God is with you. You could not do these signs unless you were with God. So again, we're seeing Jesus as the example of what it means to be with God. Then towards the end of this chunk of scripture, Jesus says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. God is giving us an option, a way to be with him eternally. That's incredible. God is doing all of these things, giving us all of the scripture, giving us Jesus as an example to look at so that we can be with God eternally. That's incredible. Furthermore, at the very end here, um, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God doesn't want to condemn us and say, oh, you have done everything wrong, you're bad. God is doing this to be with us. God is enabling us to be with him. And that is is incredibly awesome. If we think that God is omnipotent and all-powerful and all-loving, the idea that he would want to be with us and would give us a way to be with him is very incredible, and I am very grateful for that. 
Another passage I want to read just really briefly, just because it's, I just love the way it phrases things, is James 4, verses 8 through 10, where it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So there's this idea that the closer you get to God, the closer God will get to you. There's a mutuality here. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I just love how relational this passage is. No matter what our emotions are, God will meet us in that place with that emotion. We don't have to change what we feel. We just have to go to God, and God will meet us there. So, there's a whole lot in the New Testament, a lot of stuff about what we can do to be with God, but I want to skip towards the end in Revelation because that gives us a really beautiful idea of what everything is going to look like when Jesus returns. At that point, the world will be restored, and then we'll get back to that place of Eden, the way things were originally designed and able to be in perfect relationship with God on a constant basis, eternally. So Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. I want to be there. <laughs> I want to get to that point. I am ready for that. So Lord, come quickly. But what I love about this passage is it says God himself will be with them. Once again, God is enabling us to be in perfect relationship with God. So that's a very, very brief overview of the arc of being with God in Scripture. What we see at the beginning is that God creates a perfect environment to be in perfect, eternal relationship with him. Humans mess things up. There are consequences. God gives us scripture, and then God gives us Jesus so that we can continue that relationship even in a broken world. And then at the end of all things, God restores the world into that original state of perfect, eternal communion with God. It's incredible. God will restore all things that we can once again be fully with God. And again, I just want to encourage the Phil Wickham song called Eden, very much about this idea. It's a great song. One of the first songs that I heard by that uh, by Phil Wickham that made me such a fan of his music. But any relationship, a true healthy relationship, is a two-way street, right? So like a good parent-child relationship is a two-way street. Granted, sometimes the parents have to do more for the kids at different phases of their growing up, but it's a two-way street. 
A marriage is a two-way street. The two spouses need to work together to make that relationship work. Friendship is a two-way street. Both people need to be contacting the other and being there for each other for it to be a strong, healthy friendship. So sometimes we often think about how difficult a relationship with God is. And certainly there are challenges to it. Every relationship has its challenges. But especially with the human-God relationship, that can be difficult for us because we can't see God. We can't always hear God the way we hear each other. A lot of times it feels like we just have the Bible and that's it. So sometimes it feels like it's so much work for us as humans to put into um, a relationship with God. And certainly it is a lot of work. It's worth it, very much so, but it is a lot of work. But if you think about it, and if you look at what we just went through with this arc of God being with us in Scripture, we'll see that God is also constantly working to be with us. It's a two-way street. And really, we can easily say that God is working a lot harder to be with us than we are ever able to work to be with Him. And thankfully, God does that work for us. Um, but it's a two-way street. If we want to be close to God, like James says, draw closer to God, and God will draw closer to us. God has given us those mechanisms. So how do we actually do that? Well, any form of discipleship journey is simply investing in a relationship with God, as you would with any other person. So you find the ways that you relate to that person, and you go from there. So some friends I have, we can um, just text each other and that keeps us really close. Other friends, we have to see each other and have dinner together. Um, other friends, we can share just the silly goings on in life. Other friends I have, we can go straight to the meaty stuff. All of these different ways are great ways of interacting with people and it's different in every relationship and that's okay. So your relationship with God is unique. It doesn't have to look like everybody else's. Certainly, there are wonderful things that you can learn about relationship with God by looking at the relationships that other people have with God. But yours can look completely unique because yours is completely unique. You are a unique person. God is unique. Your specific relationship with God is its own thing. So find out how it is that you can grow closer to God. There's a lot of different ways that Christians have done this throughout history. Some of the most obvious ways are spending time in prayer, um, spending time reading and studying the Bible, and then often worship music or um, various worship liturgies, time in church services. Those are probably the core things of what we understand to be developing a relationship with God. The more you can do any of those things, the better. But that can look a lot of different ways. There's so many different practices of prayer that effectively help us grow closer to God. And it looks different for every person. Um, a lot of people like to pursue journaling. I'm a big advocate of journaling. That's just something that really resonates with me. Um, worship music, again, is always really great. A lot of people really develop their relationship with God by spending time with God in nature. So just being out in God's creation and experiencing a sunset or a breeze or trees or a garden, flowers, 
any of those things can be really um, compelling for different people and draw people closer to God. Also, time with other people helps us grow closer to God. Christian community helps us do that. We're going to talk about that more in an upcoming episode. But uh, other people are also made in God's image. So we get to know God better by knowing other people that are made in God's image. So there are so many different ways to get closer to God, to be with God. Now, if you have some more, um, or if you want some more ideas, like I said earlier in the episode, we did six prior episodes that talked to different people within our church and associated with our church and what they do to grow closer to God. So check those out, um, some great resources there. But again, you're not limited to just those ideas. Um, There are so many ways to draw closer to God. So that's kind of the bulk of what I wanted to say today in getting us to better understand what it means to walk with God or be with God. We're going to be doing a couple of more episodes in this current series, which I'm kind of calling Discipleship Basics. I'm just kind of getting some very basic elements of discipleship together. Um, I'm always kind of plotting ahead to see what we'll do next in the podcast. So if you have topic ideas that you'd maybe like us to go over, if you have questions, um, please email them to me. My email address is k-r-o-g-n-e-s-s at faithcovenant.org. And you can find that on the website as well. So please feel free to email me if you have ideas. I'm excited to kind of hear what people are wanting this podcast to be. So this podcast, I just want to remind people, is available in the Faith Connect app, which you've probably already figured out at this point if you're listening right now. Um, And you can also listen on all the major um, podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And you can also watch it on YouTube. And if you're doing this through a podcasting platform or YouTube, you can actually hit a subscribe button to make sure that you never miss a weekly episode. So we're going to do our best to put out episodes every week, usually on Wednesdays. Um, There may be some weeks where we get bonus episodes um, that may be shorter or longer than our usual episodes. Um, It's going to look like a lot of different things, so we're still figuring that out. But yeah, that's pretty much everything I wanted to cover today. I'm very thankful that you took the time to watch this or listen to this, and I hope that it helps you grow your relationship with God. (music) 